Hey, it's Brian Cook, your host here. Wanted to let you know we now have t-shirts. Would you like to support the podcast? Have you noticed that I can't get a sponsor because this show's too filthy? Hey, it'd be great if some people ordered shirts. They're great-looking shirts. Go to estoymerchandise.com, E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com. You'll find competitive erotic fanfiction on the right-hand side. Click on that, and you can order shirts. This men's and women's sizes. It's a great design by my buddy Mark Palm in Seattle. He does all of our amazing poster art. Uh, please support the podcast. It would help us out a ton. That's estoymerchandise.com. E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Upcoming show includes November 15th at the Virgil in Los Angeles, and that is where today's show was recorded on September 20th, 2015, featuring Zach Sherwin, Guy Branham, Alex Cole, and Jared Logan reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions. First, you're going to hear them draw topics, then we will fast forward into the future to hear the finished pieces. Enjoy. Kelly was excited for the party because it was going to be amazeballs. Kelly <laughs> liked things that were amazeballs, like web videos where girls apply makeup, guys on Vine who are all named Caden, and vlogs where guys do open mic level stand-up comedy poorly and straight to camera, but with apps. <laughs> she had invited her three besties over. One of them was bringing some boys. Kelly hoped they weren't fuckboys, because if there was one thing she didn't like, it was fuckboys. Hashtag lol, hashtag internet, hashtag hashtag. Amber arrived first. Amber and Kelly met online when both of them liked the same Justin Bieber Instagram because cute. Then Chelsea showed up. Chelsea is a co-worker of Kelly's, and they have nothing in common, but most people don't figure out the difference between friends and workmates until they are at least 32. She brought two guys named Xander and Doof. They were both 21, therefore they could buy beer, but they were the dumbest people on the planet. The three girls were so excited to see each other that they all stared at their phones and didn't talk for what seemed like hours. While the guys definitely shotgun beers and talked about their idiot fantasy fucking football leagues. Then Kelly had an idea. They should play her favorite game, Cards Against Humanity. It was called Cards Against Humanity because tiny, dumb, mad libs for dull people bereft of creativity was too clunky. Exactly the kind of game that the generation who made Grace Helbig a fucking TV star deserves. Oh, the fun they would have, putting down cards with words on them. It was the intellectual equivalent of dumping out a bunch of Scrabble tiles in the hopes they would randomly spell the word poop or something. Then Chelsea suggested they spice things up by playing strip cards against humanity, which was perfect for this crew since poker has rules and is hard. She drew the first card, and the Academy Award for blank goes to blank. Kelly played cards that read cat videos and anal sex. The ensuing uproarious reaction from her friends gave her just the inspiration she needed to start a Twitter account. Where she would probably gain tens of thousands of followers by being pretty and tweeting observations that never would have made it out of a young Ellen DeGeneres' notebook. More brilliance ensued. Clothes came off. When Kelly played the card, having trouble with blank, tried blank. Doof played menstruation and shutting the fuck up. These are real cards. Xander high-fived him so hard that he had to jerk off to those weird sorority hazing videos with his other hand for a week. 
Everyone was laughing at how funny they were as they combined words other people wrote in hilarious new ways. It was awesome sauce. It was also as, almost as rewarding as being the fat Jew. <laughs> Kelly was losing, which meant she was down to just her thong and a t-shirt that said Neil and Harry and Liam and Louie and Zane. There was hella giggling. On the card, what are my parents hiding from me? Doof played Italians, and everyone laughed and didn't know why. Kelly lost again and took off her panties and declared that she was super horny. Doof turned on the webcam because that's what millennials call foreplay. The guys got naked, high-fived each other again, and tugged at their own dongs like monkeys if they had less dignity. What should I put in my mouth? asked a now nude Kelly. Dicks and balls, replied Chelsea. Get it? Like we're playing the game. Kelly put some dicks and balls in her mouth. The other girls wooed every time a silence fell for more than three seconds. No one thought to just turn on music for some reason. Everyone did their best to convince themselves this wasn't awkward as hell. The guys tried not to make eye contact while they took Kelly from both ends because gay. Fill my pussy. Fill my pussy with a bunch of blank, yelled Kelly. Dupe said spaghetti because he didn't get the joke. They all fucked in a bunch of positions that aren't fun but look cool on camera because no one has a childhood anymore thanks to Pornhub. <laughs> Come all up in my blank and blank, yelled Chelsea. Unfortunately, Doof went with eyes and ear holes. Later that night, Kelly uploaded the video to the internet because consequences don't exist when you're 20. Five years later, all of their dads killed themselves. The world is a fucking toilet, the end. Thank you so much. Please welcome your round two competitors who will be writing based upon your suggestions this evening. Guy Branham, Zach Sherwin, Alex Cole, and Jared Logan, ladies and gentlemen. You can do better than that for your round two competitors. I know you can. Careful on the stairs. All right. Here's how this part works. We're going to start with Mr. Guy Branham. Guy Branham, second to that mic, my friend. Clap your hands for Guy one more time. If Guy likes the first suggestion, he can take it and run with it. If he doesn't like it, I will draw a second one, and then you guys will vote with your applause on which one he has to take. So never mind about writing down a topic. Your first option is Peter Pan, the live television production. I like it, but I want to see what my other options are. All right. Uh, spinning image. I don't know what that is. Uh, it is a British political <laughs> puppet show from the mid-80s. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, Yep. Okay, who wants to hear the live Peter Pan musical? <laughs> British puppets. <laughs> British puppets it is. Guy Branham. Keep it going for Alex Cole. <laughs> There's Pat's here if you guys need me to. Alex, your first option is Kathy Lee and Hoda Kotb. <laughs> Next. All right. What's, what's up? What else? Why is the bag jingling? Uh, there's pencils in there. Oh, it's paper. Your, <laughs> your second option is nationwide insurance. <laughs> so let's see. Who wants to hear Kathy Lee and Hoda? <laughs> Who wants to hear nationwide insurance? <laughs> Kathy Lee and Hoda. It is Alex Cole. Clap your hands for Alex. <laughs> Keep it going for Mr. Jared Logan. Um, <laughs> no holds barred and then parentheses a shit movie with Hulk Hogan and someone from Friday Diva Diva from Friday no holds barred okay See me the, show me the other one you got it uh, Tim Burton is your second option yeah 
Who wants to hear No Holes Barred? One of you suggested it. Do you want to vote for your own shitty thing? All right. Tim Burton. Tim Burton, Jared Logan, and finally Mr. Zach Sherwin. Zach, your first option is John Landis. Um, I'll hear my other one, please. Don Cornelius. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's my show, and I do what I want. Uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch. There you go. Zach Sherman, ladies and gentlemen. Take it away, Zach. Ladies and gentlemen, your first round two competitor, Guy Branham. My topic was spitting image. When Eustace graduated from the Royal Central School of Siege and Drama, he imagined he would spend the rest of his life toiling away as a lowly key grip on Are You Being Served? That terrible British sitcom about a department store which American PBS stations played like it was their core mission. However, just days after beginning work at BBC, he accidentally ran into a kindly older gentleman in the hall. That man turned out to be Director General Alistair Milne, who'd taken one look at Eustace's thin, nimble fingers and asked if he wanted to start work as an assistant deputy under-puppeteer at Spitting Image, the highest-rated puppet-based political sketch comedy show in the entire European Economic Union zone. It was late at night after taping one of the zany, incisive episodes, which had really stuck it to all the biggest figures in British culture in the year 1985, and all the other staff members had gone home. However, as assistant deputy under-puppeteer, it was Eustace's responsibility to give one final wipe-down to all the foam rubber puppets used on the show. He sprayed some ethyl alcohol onto a rag and ran it over the many, many creases in the face of the final puppet. He stared into the soft auburn plastic hair, the hard red plastic lips, the harsh beak-like nose, which Americans really only knew from the Genesis Land of Confusion video, but which represented a distinct and striking moment in the British uh, collective unconscious. Eustace was into freaky shit. When he was in high school, he got boners over everything, but as time went on, he started to notice he wasn't turned on by the same things as other boys. Other boys like Farrah Fawcett or Adrian Barbeau, but he had always been turned on by packing peanuts or styrofoam or the smell of really fresh plastic. One time when he was 16, his parents got a new dishwasher, which wasn't big like an American dishwasher, but which was about three feet by three feet because Britain had been, until 1979, a nation in decline. Uh, He had taken the styrofoam packing materials, cut a particularly succulent hole in one of them, then fucked it. Fucked it hard until his mother opened the door of his room and got him. She was so angry uh, that he was fucking plastic, she yelled at him for four minutes straight while his dick was still out. She yelled at him about personal responsibility, about order and decency, and about the dangers of further political union with the rest of Europe. <laughs> Only as his mother, a high school civics teacher, completed her harangue about Germany's steamrolling the ancient rights of the English, did his thick, full 16-year-old penis release its, ru- uh, its load striking her face. A moment he had never spoken of, but a moment he would never forget. <laughs> Eustace realized that his trance of memory and desire, uh, that in his trance of memory and desire, he'd released his thick pink rod from his trousers and begun stroking it. He looked at the face of the puppet before him, the caricatured face of Britain's first female prime minister, <laughs> and he admitted it. The thing he had, sa- he had never said to his mother, his confused high school girlfriend, or himself. I, I am sexually attractive to puppet caricatures of conservative political figures. 
And as his tongue released the words, his dick released its load. A shocking white stream of pure male desire which splashed across the face of the Thatcher puppet, which soaked up that magical essence of life. And, after a quiver, a start popped up full of life. We're not prepared to accept a situation where the people of Britain believe they may simply release loads of jizz all over the hard-working taxpayers of this nation without response, young man. You have violated the sovereignty of my face, and I'm required to deter any further iterations of such malfeasance we have seen hitherto. <laughs> the Thatcher puppet gripped Eustace's pants and pulled them down. And she bent him over her foam rubber knee. Eustace couldn't believe it. He had assumed that the greatest pleasure he'd ever know was simply touching this plasticine icon of monetarist economics and mutually assured destruction, nuclear political deterrence. But the dream beyond his dream was coming true. A statue puppet spanked his bottom and lectured him about the importance of allowing persons in public housing to have the option of purchasing their homes outright. The other puppets came to life. A George Bush puppet sprang forward, spreading its legs, and consumed the soft pink dick of German Bundeskanzler Helmut Kohl. The tight green uniform of Muammar Gaddafi puppet was torn asunder by the teeth of Francois Mitterrand puppet, who draped a napkin over his head to appreciate the fragrance as he gargled the foam rubber nuts of the caricature of the Libyan colonel who had harbored Palestinian militants who hijacked the cruise ship Achille Laro back in October. Eustace could feel his dick getting hard again. He was pressed against Mrs. Thatcher's leg, but it didn't matter, since she was all squishy and delicious, as he'd imagined, when watching the show from home. Indeed, there is an indomitable spirit within all Britons, which does not require the government to free it. Rather, it is the duty of the government to get out of the way and allow individuals to achieve their own happiness. Socialism may try to make people better, but capitalism, the freedom to speak, and do and fuck as you wish makes people better and wetter. Or makes better people and wetter people, I should have said that. Thatcher Puppet pulled up her skirt and revealed a swollen purple caricature of labia. Eustace stuck his dick within and pleasure raced around his body. Indeed, these measures which have bettered the situation first is now present, but more can and may be done. Ronnie, let's get some transatlantic cooperation. Well, Maggie, I'm proud to be here in London and believe that the relationship between our proud nations to be a special one. Ronnie's giant long-range tactical warhead entered Eustace's butt as a finger of Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth, entered uh, his butt. <laughs> Um, and Eustace quivered with a desire that he had never felt before as the Queen of England made him a ham puppet while he was fucked by marionettes. <laughs> Thank you very much and good evening. Guy Brano. <laughs> Who else do we have ready to go around to? Who's up? Alex Cole. Clap your hands for Alex. August 2015, Huda opened the 17th bottle of wine. The audience had long gone home, and the two women lay on the floor of the empty sound studio. Their legs splayed and their backs against the small fake half wall that made up the set of the popular morning TV show that they hosted. 
It was a strangely foreign sight among a strangely familiar to almost all American television watchers sight, unless, of course, you are not a 48-year-old mother of two from <laughs> Twin Falls, Idaho, own nothing capable of uh, <laughs> viewing a network television broadcast on, and didn't get up before noon on the regular, <laughs> like myself. <laughs> then you'd think they were just two almost indistinguishable women, drunk, and probably have the same hairdresser. <laughs> The audience loved you, said Buddha. They were all here for you. Everyone there gave you a standing ovation. They all love you. I know, I know, said Kathy Lee. <laughs> but that won't bring Frank back, now will it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kathy, honey, nothing will. Kathy said, I just, I just want to feel something, anything right now. With no hesitation, Buddha picked up one of the many, many tumblers of sangria that was around them. <laughs> and then slowly poured it over Kathy Lee's head. As if it knew what to do, the stream of citrusy wine followed her part perfectly down her hair. And upon reaching her forehead, <clears throat> uh, formed a sharp stream that raced down her face. Due to the amount of plastic surgery that keeps Kathy Lee taut and poreless, <laughs> the, line, the wine uh, was offered no resistance, and as it raced down the slopes of her petite form, it gained incredible speed. By the time it reached her Kathy Lee Gifford Walmart Signature Series cotton panties, one of the millions she owned, as she had to buy them all back in 1997, <laughs> after the whole et sway apche thing. <laughs> the small focused beam of alcohol and sugar had enough velocity to burn a straight cut through the aged fabric. Her panties split in two and then disintegrated due to age and substandard materials and construction. <laughs> Microseconds later, the liquor laser reached its target, her Kathy Lee Clifford. <laughs> Somewhere, a monastery bell exploded. <laughs> Sorry. As a eternity of not fucking her dying husband exploded forward in an orgasm that rendered all digital equipment in Rockefeller Plaza inoperable. Huda also had a small orgasm. Both passed out in each other's arms as two families from Door County, Wisconsin looked through the large windows of the studio <laughs> and cheered and pointed to their shirts that said, We love you, Kathy Lee. We love you. Thank you. Alex Cole. Who else we got round two? Wife Jared Logan, ladies and gentlemen. All right, thank you for this opportunity. Uh... My uh, topic was Tim Burton. Exterior, twilight. Camera pans across gnarled, leafless trees. And old wooden signs that say, Keep out! And get back! And you were warned! And then a sign that just says, Spooky! 
finally stopping on the Tim Burton Productions office in creepy, haunted Burbank, California. Inside his office, Tim Burton, age 57, goth, sits dreaming up, sits dreaming up his next big picture. With him are his close circle of creative friends, Johnny Depp, Helena Bottom Carter, convicted pedophile Jeffrey Jones, and the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe. I need an idea for my next film, says Burton, absent-mindedly sketching a cartoon of a Victorian woman in the throes of a turn-of-the-century miscarriage. How about a picture, says Depp, where my hair is like blue. So it's me, Johnny Depp, but I've got blue hair. And I talk like this. Hello, how are you? Johnny Depp with blue hair, shouts convicted pedophile Jeffrey Jones, but you're so handsome. What a weird, quirky idea. Then he goes back to browsing child Tinder. Kinder. That's good, says Burton, trimming his nails with a tiny guillotine he bought on a trip to the grave of Baudelaire. But it needs something more, like an idea for a movie. We could go through your file of old spooky TV shows, says actress Helena Bonham Carter. She pulls out a file. Ooh, Twilight Zone. Has that been a movie? Yeah, I think John Landis directed it and he hired an illegal child actor and there was a helicopter crash and the kid got his head cut off and the, the production got in trouble not for the head cutting off but because the kid was an illegal alien, says Jeffrey Jones. I remember because it was a cute kid. <laughs> then the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe says, Six paragraphs have I waited low this gloomy Burbank night. Six full paragraphs of dialogue and not a dick in sight. <laughs> Make a moving picture, Tim, of every character you've created. When inspiration like lightning hath struck. Make a moving picture, Tim, but make the characters fuck. <laughs> Cut to opening night of Tim Burton's Deep Throat. And you've got a front row seat. <laughs> Seated around you are all the people you'd expect to find in a porno palace. Guy shooting up heroin. Wino sleeping it off. Old guy with his cock out ready to jerk it because he doesn't realize the internet is a thing. And he can just do it at home now. You dig into your popcorn with one hand while I'm doing your pants with the other. You get a tight grip on whatever you're working with and prepare for the gloomiest, quirkiest bait fest ever. The movie starts, and it's already going on too long. First line, paging Mr. Herman, Mr. Pee Wee Herman. You look two seats down, and there's Paul Rubens, full beard, wild look in his eye, tugging his mecha-lecka-high, mecha-hiney ho so hard, it's as cherry red as his bicycle. He looks you right in the fucking eye and goes, Herr. You look back at the movie, scene two, Winona Ryder's being fucked by Catherine O'Hara and Michael Keaton while the Banana Boat song plays. One and two and three and come, she does, and her Beetlejuice goes everywhere. 
Next scene, Depp is Edward Scissorhands. Bonham Carter is Alice Scissorhands. A new character. They can't touch, so their legs are, you guessed it, scissoring. That scene is mostly dialogue to set up scene four, which is just a close-up of Helena Bonham Carter's big fish. Seriously, it's huge. By scene five, the entire Planet of the Apes is running a gay train on Sweeney Todd. Cut to the corpse ride giving the head to the headless horseman. Sleepy Hollow, not tonight. The next scene is a fairly lengthy Nightmare Before Christmas retrospective. It's not good or interesting, but it looks expensive. And you can see how wearing some of it on a shirt might be fun. And you feel like it would maybe eventually lead you to a career in amateur burlesque. But that's just the quiet before the storm, because in the final act, and yes, we're talking sexual act, your entire childhood fucks itself. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland fucks Charlie in the Chocolate Factory while the Mad Hatter blows Willy Wonka. Yes, death fillets death in what could only be called the apotheosis of his later career. What the hell, Jack Sparrow rolls in and tosses both their salads. You realize you've just come and you look down at your hand and your sex juice is a creepy purple. Bats and spiders are spontaneously generated from it. Everyone in the theater is staring at the screen with big eyes, that's all of them. Right behind you, Tim Burton finishes blowing the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe. Thank you, master, he gargles through a mouthful of cum. Nevermore, says Poe. The end. Jared Logan. Well done, sir. Where's Zach Sherwin at? Zach Sherwin, paging Zach Sherwin to the stage. There he is, your final competitor, Mr. Zach Sherwin. Clap your hands for Zach. Guys, full disclosure, I tried to do something that was ambitious for me, and I really feel like I bit off more than I can chew. But uh, you guys ready to do this thing together? Yes! All right, hang on one sec. Good luck to all of us. All right, DJ, hit it. Humans are some kinky fuckers, so much weird shit that people do. But you've never heard nothing like what I'll tell ya. Performed over the theme from Gremlins 2. Yo, I fucked a gremlin, my cock was a tremblin'. I was full of arousal, but also fear. I fucked a gremlin, please lend your attention as I share this tale for you to hear. If you cast your minds back to the film and do a bitter remembrance, you'll recall that Gizmo spawned other Mogwai who turned themselves into gremlins. These were not ordinary gremlins. They came from a laboratory where Gizmo had been subjected to terrible experimenting. And when these gremlins got a hold of the serums in that lab, shit got wild, yo. Events didn't go down quietly because those gremlins turned themselves into all these crazy-ass motherfucking weird gremlin varieties. There was a genius gremlin. There was a bat gremlin. There was a gremlin made entirely out of electricity. And craziest of all, of all these crazy gremlins, one gremlin turned into a female gremlin! <laughs> ah! <laughs> 
That's why I stopped rewriting the lyrics, so... Now, okay, the female gremlin. All right. So, they wreak havoc, but at the end of the film, the female gremlin falls in love with Forster, who's the head of security at the lab, according to Wikipedia. And they get married. That's how the film ends. Right, person who suggested this? Well, Forster and I happen to be friends from high school. Andover Prep School, to be specific, in Massachusetts, the fancy one, where George W. Bush was a cheerleader. That's neither here nor there, but it is kind of weird that an Andover man is the head of security in a lab. It just doesn't seem like a... Anyways, me and Forster stayed in touch, and he told me that he and his bride had an open marriage, and that he had never fucked any human woman who was anything like his wife in bed. So I was like, dude, this might be weird, because we're friends, but, like, would it be cool with you if, you know, I asked your wife on a date sometime? And he was like, yeah, I mean... Oh, damn, I thought it was going to be the chorus again. Well, fuck it, here we go. I fucked a gremlin, my teeth were a-quenching with fear at first, but then delight. I fucked a gremlin, they're not mogwai resembling, cause it's good to get them wet and feed them past midnight. Obligatory. All right. So, I gotta, all right, let's do it. Uh, we went back, I know there's like no sex in this story, it's all set up. Just like my actual sex life. <laughs> I'm just going to give you guys the two remaining fun lyrics that I wrote for this and get out of here. Alright, um... I guess it's just one. So, just imagine me fucking the gremlin. Think about what that would be like. Uh, I took off her leopard print bikini, looked into her weird iguana-like eyes, kissed her beautiful gremlin lips... Um, and then here's how we're going to close it out. Yo. I pumped a load of cum into her, a giant goo batch. and was so turned on that I came a second time, filled her with a new batch. The mixture of her pussy juice and my cum was like a gremlin stew. And that is how I fucked the anti-heroine of gremlins too. <laughs> Applaud the rhyme and the effort, if not the execution. Thank you. Yeah, all around two competitors back to the stage. All right, once again, I will remind you of what everybody read. Uh, we started with Guy Branham, Branham, Guy Branham with Spitting Image, then Alex Cole with Kathy Lee and Hoda, Jared Logan with Tim Burton, and Zach Sherwin with Gremlins 2. So pick a favorite, starting with Guy Branham, Spitting Image. <laughs> Alex Cole, Kathy Lee, and Hoda. Jared Logan, Tim Burton. And Zach Sherwin, Gremlins 2. I think by a hair, that's Jared Logan with Tim Burton. A very close round. Please, one more round of applause for all of your round two competitors. Everyone you saw tonight, the staff here at the Virgil, yourselves for coming out. Thank you so much. I've been your host, Brian Cook. Have a great night. That does it for round two. To hear round one from this show, you can go back and download episode 147. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's a big help as our positive comments. And for more details on upcoming shows, you can always follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or follow the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leave.
leavingnerdist.com. 